Everybody say this after me. Say, get behind me, Satan. That feels good, don't it? Our second week of battle royale. Let's look at Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. Nothing like an open heaven. Changes everything. Changed the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, from this moment forward, he would never be the same again. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Then the next chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, watch this, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, by the way, this is his first recorded incidence of any type of spiritual attack, uh, spiritual warfare that Jesus would have to walk through. I told you that this church, many of you are in a place of warfare in your life, and you have to learn how to fight those battles. Jesus learned. Matter of fact, the very first act after being filled with the Holy Ghost was the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, and there the devil waited for him there. And in those days, he ate nothing, and afterwards, uh, when they had ended... He was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus never refutes the statement that he had been given all authority. Jesus never refutes the statement that this, these territories, these kingdoms, were actually his, the devil's, to give. And I'll get to that in a little while. There's, the devil always tells a little bit of truth and mingles it with a whole bunch of lies. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, you might be telling me the truth, but you are not the one to give me the word. Only God gives me this word. Now when the devil, uh, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, until an opportune time. This is chucked full of revelation. We'll get to what we can get to today. Um, but I, I will tell you that one of the things, that, the takeaways of this, these, these particular scriptures is this, is that notice the devil comes and he, he, gives, he gives his best to trip Jesus up. He, he's he coming with full force to embattle Jesus, to get him tripped up in his faith. And um, he comes for 40 days and for 40 nights. And then after Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So the more words you have up in your spirit and you utilize in your prayer time or utilize in your time of spiritual attack, the more you're wielding the sword of God to fend off your enemies. And I said a whole lot right there, just catch it as we go. We don't have a lot of time. So here we go. And so then after he does that, the Bible says the devil leaves him until an opportune time. God does not work in time. Did you all hear me? 
God does not work in time. He's eternal. But the devil has been commissioned to work within time. Why do we know that? Even though he is a spirit, the Bible says, Jesus actually said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven to the earth. In other words, he's now subjugated to time. So the devil moves within time periods and with cycles. In other words, he's the Mike Tyson of the spirit. He's big, bad, he's a bully. He'll knock your head off. But if you can withstand at least round two or three, chances are you'll go all the way and you'll win the war. I remember Mike Tyson, incredible warrior, incredible. But if he couldn't beat you in three rounds, you got in his head. At that point, he said, I gave everything I got. I will have to bite your ear now. Come on, somebody say amen. And when that don't stop here, come on, somebody. He just kept, he, he, just, he couldn't win. He was psychologically whipped. That tells me the devil can fight hard, but he can't fight long. 40 days, that's all it was. Think about it. After Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into a conflict. The very first move of the Holy Spirit was to lead, we think of Jesus, would lead, or the Holy Spirit would lead us into a, a place of peace or a place of prosperity or a place of, place of healing. And in this case, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into a battle, into a conflict. The Holy Spirit will lead you into a battle that he knows you are prepared to win even if you don't feel like you're prepared to win. In other words, there is spiritual conflict that God intentionally draws you into so that you can gain authority, access, promotion, and reward. If you're in a battle right now, it's because God knows there's something about you that can whip the devil, and by his spirit, you can do it and overcome. And if you'll do it, you'll get access into a promotion, access into a reward that you've never had before in your life. Amen, somebody. We see this without this, with, throughout the scriptures where, where Jehoshaphat was told by God, you go into fight, battle, but you're not fighting a conventional war. Get your praise team out there. Get them all out there on the, on, the, on the battle front lines and begin to worship me. And as you praise and worship me, I'll set an ambush against your enemies. And the Bible says as they went out to praise and worship, that's why we've got to, that's a weapon we've got at our disposal. When we praise and worship, not because I feel like it, but because I need to. Not because I, not because I, I feel like I, I need to do this, but because God needs my worship. He deserves my praise. And as I do, it will cause confusion in the ranks of the enemy. And the Bible says they begin to kill each other. Amen, somebody. And so now that it took them three days, they didn't have to fight one person, but their praise and their worship was spiritual, supernatural warfare against their enemies. And it took them three days to pick up the spoils that they had, and they became wealthy. God gave them access into a place of provision and promotion and reward they did not have. And, and then those are the conflicts that God calls you into. But then there are conflicts that the enemy wants you to engage in that you are not supposed to be involved in. Or he'll get you engaged in a warfare that you're not prepared for. Joshua went out to fight Jericho. And God says, here's how you're going to do it. Send, send my people around. Walk around the wall seven times. Jericho, they were securely shut, shut up, the Bible says. They had an incredible, uh, uh, they had incredible military teams. And he said, just walk around. On the seventh day, raise a shout. That's why I said we got to shout. There's purpose behind our shout. It's literally piercing the darkness. Of our, of, of our world and, and causing God to be able to come and relate and begin to help us and, 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 and to make it speedily. And so 
We know it speedily because the moment they shouted, the walls of Jericho came down and fell down flat, and they were able to, the enemy was exposed and able to take their enemy out once and for all. It was the first city of ten cities that God said, I want you to take. How many is that? That's one-tenth. That's a tenth of the whole. And he said, burn it with fire, everything. You don't take a coin, you don't take silver, you don't take nothing. Burn it all. It's an offering unto me. Your tithe is an offering unto God. It's not something you give back. It's something that you give to him to further his kingdom. So when you tithe, in a moment we're going to take up to receive the tithe. It's you saying, Lord, this belongs to you, not to me. And then they fought the next battle in Ai. And the Bible says they lost bitterly, went away, and, and had to run for their lives. And, and, um, and, and Jericho, uh, J Joshua said, what happened? We took Jericho with such force. They were much stronger than these people. Why are we running for our lives? God, help me. And God said, there's sin in the camp. And church, when you've got sin in your life, just know you're not going to win the battles. The way you win is by being obedient to God. Well, I can't help myself. Sometimes I just have a little sex in the side. God understands. No, he does not understand. If he says no sex before marriage, then it's no sex before marriage. Period. Well, I, I, I get horny sometimes. I can't help myself. I'm going to go ahead and tell the truth. Y'all talk like it all day long and then expect me to say something different. This is how you all talk. I can't help myself. You can help yourself. My God, you're not an animal. Well, I'm a sex machine. And you're going to go to hell, sex machine, until you find Jesus. Come on, somebody. Do what's right in the, do what's right in the eyes of God, and God will bless you. And so they couldn't win any battles, and they said, God, what's going on? He said, there's sin in the camp. Where is the sin? The sin, he said, show me. He said, it's Achan. Achan took what didn't belong to him. I told him to burn everything, but they, I told you Jericho was mine, but you stole from my tithe. You took from me, and you hid it in your camp. You hid it within, he hid it within his tent. He didn't think anybody would notice, but I saw it. I saw it. That tithe belongs to me. Think you're going to win battles and you can't give God one dime off of your dollar? One penny off of your ten cent? And you think you're going to win? God of heaven, come and help me when he can't even get you to tithe? I lost half the crowd. But that's my anointing. And um, he took it all and said, look. All these people, God said, you got to take them out. And he did. God commanded. That was back in the Old Testament. God didn't play. And all of them were killed and destroyed. Children, everything touched their, everything, the tent, everything was gone. He said, now go into war. And they went and they won every single battle after that. So sin will keep you out of God's plan and keep you, and keep you in a place of losing battles. But there's another way you lose battles, and that's through the arena of fear. Fear will keep you in a place where you're constantly losing battles. And we see that one place after another with, with, in the Word of God. But Luke 3, verse 22 says, we've, um, we just read it. It says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We find the revelation of why you are being fought in the first place is because, in fact, you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And God is pleased with his children. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, those who received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Why does the devil hate you? Because you're a child 
of God to those who believe in his name. Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also suffer, be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For earnest expectation, the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. We aren't a joke out here. We are the children of Almighty God, which makes us an heir. H-E-I-R. And an heir is one who is entitled to the property or the title of another. Everything God's got, he gives to his children. And God can't give you what God ain't got. I said God can't give you what God ain't got. And if God don't have sickness, why should we have disease? If God don't have poverty, why should we have lack? If there's no fear in God, why should we have worry? If there's no anxiety with God, why should we be depressed? Genesis 1, 27, so God created man in his own image. That's the revelation. That's why the devil hates you. You got up this morning and you look like God. He hates that. Everywhere he goes on this people planet, he's running into God somewhere. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is why the devil will fight you so hard. You are literally the offspring of God on earth. You're the offspring of the almighty God. So what was the enemy's target to get, to, to get Jesus to sin? Why did he work so hard? Because this is what he said. If you are the son of God. He did not know for sure. He wasn't totally convinced. He knew Jesus from a time of four when he walked with God. Why do you think it says, let us make man? In our image, after our light, God the Father was speaking to the Son and the Holy Ghost. They were always one. Come on, not three gods, but one God with three personalities. And God's up there saying, us, we're going to do this together. Satan's always known who Jesus was, but he never saw him in bodily form. He don't know a Christian. The devil don't respect you because you tell him you're a Christian. He don't know if you're saved until you start showing him that you're a born-again child of God and speaking like one and acting like one. Some of y'all looking at me like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into today? You're going to have lunch. And it'll all go away. Just hold on just a second. The greatest weapon that the enemy will use is the weapon of insecurity. He will challenge your knowledge. He'll challenge your knowledge of your identity in Christ. That's what he always does. If you are the son of God, almost like he's poking fun at you. 
You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a child of God. Look at you. You keep making mistakes and messing up. You're always getting yourself into stuff. If you were really saved, you wouldn't have these problems. I will say this. I'd like to say it the other way. The fact that you're in all these problems tells me you are born again because the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's always working against you. When he had you out there in the world, you never had to fight him. Tipping out. Praise God. Can you all hang with me a few more minutes? Some people can't handle this stuff. Jesus is right. <laughs> if you don't know who you are, you'll react in fear, which places the battle right smack dab in Satan's arena. And if it's in Satan's arena, you will lose. He's ancient. You know, he's an idiot, but he ain't stupid. You have to be an idiot to think that you can overcome God. But don't make him stupid. He's been doing his stuff a long time. And he's been with man for 6,000 years, and he knows what buttons to push. And if he can keep you in the flesh realm, in fear, Job, the Bible says, Job went through so many sufferings. But do you know why? Well, God allowed it, Pastor, because, you know, uh, you know Satan went to God and said, you know, I tried to attack your servant Job, but I tell you right now, I could get him if you, if you brought that hedge of protection down. And then God allowed it. No, wait, now hold on. Now hold on. In the earth, God always gives man abilities and sovereignties. He, give, he gives us authority on earth. So somewhere Job had to open the door for the hedge to come down. And do you remember what Job said? He said, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. How long did Job in his mind go over and over again about the things he was afraid of? Because the day came and the very things that he was afraid of actually came to pass in his life. When the devil gets you thinking more about what you're afraid of than what you're believing God for, it'll cause that fear to manifest in your life. Jesus received the word from the Father that he was, in fact, his son. Let me just say, the word that you receive from God will be tested. If you've received a word like today you're receiving one, a promise that you, you got from yesterday, whatever it may be, whatever that word is, it will be tested. And you can't know the strength of that word until you've encountered the strength of its opposition. Secondly, the reward of the promise that you're fighting for is always based on, on you having an option. When God gives you his promise, there's always going to be two doors open all the, or two doors standing before you all the time. And you'll either open one or close the other, but you can't have both. That's why God said, I set before you life and death. And then he says, hint, hint, wink, wink, choose life. Right? 
But you have to make the decision. You have to make the choice. So when it gets tough and the enemy's raging against you, the battle's on, man, and you feel the heat of it all around you and you want to quit, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare quit. That's a door. That's a door. It's saying quit, quit, and you want to jump through the door. The other one says bring it on. I'll trust my God no matter what it looks like. I'm like Job. In other words, I may be going through a conflict and a battle right now, and maybe I even opened the door for it to come, but I know my God, and I know he's merciful, and I know he's kind, and I know he has a strong hand. Job, just curse God and die, they all said. Curse him and die. I cannot. I will not. What's he say? He said, how can the clay say to the potter, this is how you shall be? Whatever he wants, he gets. And God restored Job, healed his body, and gave him a double portion of everything he lost. How much is ready for God to do a new thing in your life? The Lord doesn't bring you a promise that requires nothing from you. Why do we always think, once we get the promise, like, <laughs> zippity-doo-dah, yeah, right? Why do we think it's just going to be hunky-dory, always going to be easy, 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 and it's just all going to work out? No. The moment I get my promise, I got to get geared up for a battle that I'm called to win. Well, I'm going to be paranoid about it. I'm not going to get upset about it. I've been anointed to win. The Spirit of God will give me a promise. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then immediately he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And the Lord God knew he had the power to overcome the enemy. And when he came out, the Bible said, he came out in the power of the Holy Ghost. It's decision-making time. And I'll close with this. What's the first thing that happens when God gives you a promise or a word because a word is a promise. The enemy will come to attack that very word. Sometimes he'll bring, he'll make you see something contrary to what the word actually is. I said this, um, I said this on social media a couple days back and it's just in my spirit right now. I said, you know, people are under attack. That's why we're talking about battle royale. That's why we're talking about spiritual warfare. People are under attack. I need you to get this in your heart. Catch the revelation of this. Oh, it's so powerful. I'm praying and God just, just showed me. And uh, I preached this. Guy's been preaching for a lot of years and I never saw this. And he brought me to the story of Jesus, where Jesus gives the parable about, about the, the sower who comes to sow the seed. We know the sower comes to sow the seed, which is what? The word. And some fell on what? Wayside, stony ground, thorny ground, and good ground. And the Lord spoke to me. I said, all these years I have thought as the wayside are the Christians or the believers that really haven't given all to God. They're on the wayside, you know. They haven't really committed fully and been faithful with their walk with God. And uh, the Lord said, I want you to reconsider that. I heard this in prayer. Reconsider that. And I looked at it, and it hit me. He said, son, the wayside people are my people. And he said, those are the people. Wayside is the fringe, the fringes. 
Now, the reason why he gave this to me, because just about 10, 15 minutes before I got this, I asked the Lord. And I said, Lord, why did you make me a forerunner? I'm a forerunner, guys. That's who I am. I have a prophetic anointing, an apostolic anointing, and that causes me to be out ahead a little bit. I don't like it. I don't sometimes. I, I wish I could be mainstream because I look sometimes at the mainstream pastors and I go, you know, Lord, Lord, they don't have had the problems I've had. At least I can't tell. And they're good people. They got way bigger churches, way more money to do things with, you know, to do ministry with, missions with, build churches, all that kind of stuff. And um, they're on television. Everybody likes them. They're trendy. They're hip. They're cool, you know. I like them. It's hard not to like them. Everybody likes them. They're all drawn to them. And um, they, it's almost like they have a, uh, an anointing for attraction. And I said, but Lord, you didn't make me like that. I said, they got so much more influence than me. And the Lord says, no, son, no. You're looking at this all wrong. He said, do you want the influence of men or do you want the influence of heaven? What do you want? Which one would you like? Some would you like to be mainstream? Think about this for a second. You, mainstream? You'd be so bored. You'd want to kill everybody. You couldn't stand it. This is just too nice. Let's just make something bad happen real quick so we can, you can't, it's in you. You cannot help it. It's just who you are. You know, I'm not Joel Osteen. He's awesome at being Joel Osteen because that's who he is. I'm not mainstream. This church is not a mainstream. It never has been. It's like I get out there and I get hit or attacked or something because my calling is to be a forerunner, to be out a little head of the church prophetically to see something and then implement it while others are totally misunderstanding what you're doing. And that's hard sometimes. Because I would rather be loved by everybody and liked by everybody and, and say things like I didn't have to say today and step on people's toes and people tip out because they can't stand the pressure and, and, they, and they don't come back the next week and you wonder what the heck's going on because I can't be that guy. Not only I can't, I won't. You can't give me that environment. I won't flourish. I can't flourish like that. You gave me a church of 14,000 members, massive, you know, 125, 85,000 square foot building with all kinds of churches and missions and stuff and television ministry. And you know what? I would say, no, thank you. can't because I can't preach 20 minutes and, and call it a day. I can't just go in, have no altar call. Can't not see people healed and delivered and set free because we might offend somebody. I promise you, the moment I open my voice, I'm going to offend somebody. And I don't want to. But that's the way it is with me. That's who I am. He said, son, you're a wayside person. I said, what? I preached against that my whole life. He said, no, you're a wayside. He said, you're a fringe. You're like John the Baptist. I'm not John the Baptist. By the way, I'm not John the Baptist. I'm not, I'm not Elijah, nothing like that. But I'm similar in the sense that I'm out here, out of mainstream, out of the comfortable place, saying things that you know are going to be misunderstood, but you got to say them anyways. And, but there's a group of people like us that he's called for us to band together a remnant that God says, this is who you are. This is, the, this is what I, I put these people in your life because they'll take it and they'll move ahead with it and they'll go forward with it. I said, yes, sir. He said, son, you have to reconsider this. He said, my seed that went to the wayside people, it took root. 
I said, oh, my God. I reread it. I thought, oh, my Lord. I always thought it was just on top of the surface. And the Bible says the ravens came and came and stole the seed. Listen, I want you to hear this. I got I to say this. Listen to me. This is why we're under attack. Because we're forerunners. We're wayside. We're fringe of the mainstream. And he said, no, look, it took root. Look at my understanding. He said, watch this. He said, the sower came to sow the word in the wayside. He said, and the, he said, the Satan came immediately to take that which was sown in their heart. So that tells me the seed actually went inside. It wasn't laying dormant on top of the ground. And he said, watch this. He said, son, who did Satan come for? He said, Satan didn't come for the stony ground, the thorny ground, nor did he attack the good ground. But he attacked the wayside. He attacked the fringe. He attacked the ones that are misunderstood. He attacked the forerunners. He attacked those that had a seed in their heart. And if he could just get them to back down, there would be no return on that harvest whatsoever. Why are you being touched like this? Why are you being attacked like this? Because God called you to be a forerunner in your family, a forerunner in your neighborhood, a forerunner on the job. This is who you're called. So cushiness and comfortability is not for faith builders. Folk. We're not called to be those people. We're the ones that God says, I got a bow and an arrow for you. I got a sword for you. I got some armor I need you to take up. We're the ones that God says, I need you to pray right now. Because I know you'll come to prayer. I know you'll do it. I know that you'll bend. I know that you'll give. You show me. Church, you show me you can give. You're givers. You didn't even know it. $30,000. How in the world did we do that? I didn't beg nobody. I didn't beg nobody. I said, God said to do it. And you just did it. Only God. It's telling me that you're listening, you're getting it, and the enemy hates that. So he will fight you, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. He said that you will overcome the world. You will overcome every situation. You were born for battle. This is who you are. When you don't go out to war, you end up like David and making all kinds of mistakes. As long as he was out with the troops in battle, he was winning, 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 hashtag winning. But the moment he decided to stay home and not do what he was called to do, take a nap, take a break, take it easy, take it easy. The moment he did that is the moment hell broke out in his life. Temptation like he never had before. Everything broke away. Why? Because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. So I'm kind of teaching you the word. At the same time, I'm trying to teach you positionally where you're at in the earth. And I'm trying to teach you that the reason why the battle's been so enraged against you, if I could put it that way, that conflict has been so heated up is because of the nature of the calling that God has placed in your life. The enemy didn't go after any other seed but the wayside folk. 
That speaks to me big time, big time. So 